This is Coda Radio, episode 73 for October 28th, 2013. everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fantastic sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Ting.com. I'll tell you more about those sponsors as this show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week for 73 weeks in a row is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good evening, Chris. Wait, what? Good morning. Well, it's it's we're in that weird spot. It's it's clearly morning where I'm at, but it's at least starting to become afternoon where you're at. Mm. Just by a minute, actually, by a minute. So it's all right. How you doing this morning, Mister Dominic? I'm I'm good. A little tired. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little I uh, I'm a little tired too, but it's okay. It's all right. It, it's it's sort of this this show I think will wake us up because I we got some hate mail this week. That always wakes you up a little bit. You know, that's my favorite kind of mail, actually. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Why wouldn't you? Nothing like a, a best thing uh, in your cup is a little hate mail in the morning. Uh then uh, we're going to do um a little announcement. <laughs> you know, best part right. of waking up is hate mail in your but, cup? No. It's a negative in the freedom dimension. Sorry. I I got that wrong. Uh then we're going to do um Brace yourselves. A little announcement recaps. And then we're going to get into a topic that, honestly, I'm pretty curious where you want to go with this one. Uh, you titled it Back to the Back End, and it's going to be like everything from backing up to deployment. So I think that'll be a pretty interesting discussion as well. All kinds of yes, stuff. Yes, and we, we will avoid Sir Mix-a-Lot references. <laughs> Maybe. No, uh, I my, my backup master is Alan Jude, and uh, all references will be Alan Jude-related re- references. So Well, uh, does Alan Jude's a cunt? You know what? Never mind. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I'm just going to let that go. Are we ready for our first email? Not really, but let's do it. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what I figured. All right. So our first email this week comes from Danny. And he says, hey, Mike, what direction are you going in for server-side technology since Mike hates PHP, Node, Rails, and has abandoned .NET and the Play framework because it does not have any good hosting options, which he agrees is true? Uh, what are your plans for the server-side? I was unaware that my hatred was so varied and intense. Get it uh, out of here. <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess I say get it out of here when I see things. So I, uh, so right now I'm doing a lot of Java play. Uh, and the whole deployment situation is actually our main topic for today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In terms of uh, hating PHP, that's still true. Uh, don't hate, really hate Rails, right? Just have some concerns. Right, I wouldn't say you hate Rails. You just mentioned concerns. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. totes fair. I think it's a little different, if you really. So uh, do you want to hold the answer, full answer to that till we get to the uh, back-end segment? Yeah, I think we should hold it, because okay. I, I, don't, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we don't Sorry, wanna, you don't want to spoil it. Spoilers, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. Well, that's okay, because I feel like Matt's got a question, and by the way, I want to know what's up with this guy's missing T. I mean, that's that's unusual. It's Matt with one T. Something happened there. He's some kind of rogue. Uh, he writes in and he wants to talk about Go language, which I think might everybody. Yeah, might well. I I felt like you've been wanting to talk about it too. He says, uh, "Hi, it's Matt with one T again." I wrote in before that I'm just a hobbyist and that I know Python on and JavaScript fairly well. I was looking at getting into a compiled and re- relatively low level language, and it was suggested that I learn C. But I was looking at Go from Google. I just wondered what your opinions were on Go, other than it's a new language and doesn't have many libraries yet. Basically, would I be doing myself a disservice by learning it over C or C++? Thanks, as always. Love all the Jupiter Broadcasting shows. Matt, with one T. What do you think of that? What do you think of his question there? Is he doing himself a disservice by going with Go? No, I mean, you're not doing yourself a disservice, right? There's certainly the issue of... uh... You know, it doesn't have the the support that an um, older language might, but everything we're hearing about Go is pretty impressive so far. Uh, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that right now. Okay. Now, if you're bringing on other people to help you with the project, it might be a little tough to find developers who 
can quickly ramp up on Go, right? So that might be the, the Achilles heel for you. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but if you're if he's striking off on its own, which I kind of, which is kind of what the impression I got. What it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it seems like if you were gonna if you're gonna roll the dice on a on a language, it's gonna be around in the future. Goes likely one of them. I mean, you never know with Google. You never know for sure. But it's kind of it's also Go has gone beyond Google in a lot of ways too. So I yes. think it's I think it's probably pretty safe. All right, Mike. Well, uh, get your flame retardant pants on because e- Egon wrote in. First of all, you think his name's really Egon? If he is, I have a ghost problem he could deal with. I'm kind of jealous because Egon, that's that's pretty. That's a that's a good roll of the dice there too. He says, "All right, here it is. Coda Radio is dead for me. How does the endless, repetitive rants about iOS, Android, and the U.S. cell phone situation have anything to do with the art and business of software development? In the last couple of months, a super interesting show turned into a boring waste of time. Still a huge fan of JB though, Egon. You know." It's funny, he quoted our intro, but he forgot the part where we say it's a talk show. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so you know, I think the, I think where Egon comes from here, and I've thought about this because this is a common complaint, is that's the perspective of somebody who's not developing for mobile. And so, that, right. you know, it's just of no interest to him. Now, people who are developing for mobile, which is more and more people all the time, you know, it's a very real situation for them where these where these problems are things they really have to take into consideration and they have to think about, you know, if they're going to invest their small business time and money into something, what's the best play for them, et cetera, et cetera. So for, some, for, for a certain division of our audience and also for the host of the show, you know, this, these are very real issues that kind of nobody is fully talking about all out in the open in a frank manner like we are most – most places where this conversation and this dialogue is happening is usually somebody has skin in the game. Either that skin is they're really close to, like, say, Apple, so they don't want to say anything too harsh, or whatever the case might be. There's not a lot of actual fully honest, open dialogues about the problems that developers are facing in the space. And and sometimes it is stuff that is ancillary to the actual task of making code. Right. So I, I'd also add that, uh, you know, I haven't responded to his email yet. But I guess I'll respond now. But I know he's not listening. No, so I did some au- I did some auditing of the show. Oh, really? You audited the show? Yeah, and on the whole, the the main topics have actually not been predominantly Apple. Believe it or not, they've been uh, predominantly Google. Yeah. Now, if you if you grade on a curve that is great based on the amount of influence a vendor has in the market. It's actually very much di- disproportionately favoring Canonical or Linux as a whole. Oh, yeah, for sure. But if we wanted to say, you know, if we were doing this by market influence, we'd have a lot more .NET talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've heard the suggestion just make it a straight news show, but there are other straight news shows, right? And, you know, frankly, the news in the dev world is kind of catty. <laughs> right, the developer A went on, um, you know, I've noticed Twitter and decided to bitch out developer B because he didn't like the way she did her semicolons or blog posts or something like that. Right, yeah. somebody, yep. you know, uh, somebody got nasty because somebody open sourced something on GitHub and there was a yeah. bug. Yeah. <laughs> right, I mean, and the reason that guy got nasty is because he didn't know how to do the thing anyway and was running late and just wanted to use a library that would solve his problem. So, I mean, there's. You know, the news is kind of trashy in a lot of ways, right? Unless you're bringing the vendors. And also, it's kind of like, um, it's a show for, it, it's it's a show that we try to have a, a broad range from beginners to experts, but also at the same time, we want to give a spot for our peers to just sort of engage in the conversations and topics that they are themselves also thinking about. Because if you actually live this, if you're not trying to, it's like me, if, you know, when I listen to a financial show, I'm trying to learn everything I can and trying to discover the financial world or whatever. But if you are already in this world, you want a show where you can kind of tune into and sort of hang out with people that are sort of chewing on the same problems you're chewing on and discussing and thinking about the same things you're thinking about. So there's that element of the show, too. It's the show sort of has a multiple levels of, of appeal we're trying to reach here. You see what I'm saying there, Mr. Dominic? Do you see what I'm saying? Um, and also, I, I, so I'd also add one more thing if I can. Okay, well, yeah, then uh, I have one more thing. Go ahead. So, so I know this when I'm listening to other podcasts, right? It's not something I'm particularly interested in. It feels like it is being discussed more than it really is, right? So, so fair play to harass Chris a little bit. All the audio stuff on Linux, right? 
every year last does a show it's like this is how you do a podcast on linux and i'm like skip <laughs> yeah right so so there's nothing stopping you from fast forwarding a segment you don't like and, and i do that with just about every podcast i listen to because you know if you're not actually hosting the show you're almost never going to be exactly in line with with the people hosting it right mm-hmm. particularly true if somebody's making a french press middle of the show that's just Right, or talking about comic books for thirty minutes, or which is fine if you like comic books. But if you don't like comic books and you tuned into a a show about getting work done, <laughs> I tease, I tease. Uh, I guess my point is my point, and the last point I wanted to make is I think also, I, I mean, I'm I, I do believe you know iOS and Android and mobile are 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 strong uh, repetitive topics in the show because these are the these are the areas of industry right now that are seeing the largest amount of rapid change and growth. And there's so many new dynamics here in terms of like how app stores and, and, and how the pricing affects uh, developers and all of this stuff. There's so much that we're still chewing through that it's just kind of going to be natural. Now, you know, years down the road, who knows, who knows? Nobody knows. So there you go. You got, not that he's listening. We just gave him a really long answer for a show that he's not even listening to. Anymore. I know. I, I hope he, uh, I hope he is listening because Egon, we miss you. Oh, I see what I did. I, I see what I did. I accidentally removed. I wonder if I still have it here in the uh, thingamabobber. Yeah, I do. All right. I got Mike's email here. Um, I thought, see Matt with one T he's tricky. He sent us two emails and, uh, I almost, uh, attributed one of his emails to Mike, but Mike wrote in, uh, well, I lied. We'll just go to Matt's email because my, my history, I thought I had it in my history. He says, hi, guys. This is Matt again. Uh, Michael often talks about functional programming paradigm. I've never gone to school for CS, but I did learn OOP. And for now, I have a hard time thinking about problems in a different perspective. Uh, could you talk about some use cases where functional is better than OOP and perhaps suggest some books or resources where I can learn about functional? Thanks, as always. Love the Jupiter Broadcasting Shows. Matt, the rogue. With one T. Yeah, so um, that's a very large, very broad, flame-bitty question. <laughs> uh, I would say that the one main advantage of functional programming is avoiding state in your application, right? Um, there's also some speed benefits, and um, some people would say that it helps you architect your application better. Having said that, I'm a big fan of OO, <laughs> so... Uh, though I, I, there are definitely cases where it makes sense. I know a lot of folks in the uh, uh, the data sciences are using it. I don't have a tremendous amount of experience using functional programming outside of light functional programming, right? Or using functional options in other in OO languages. Um, in terms of, you know, I know some people are going functional all out where they can. And I think that's working out for them. But again, the use cases, it's one of those things where until you need it, you don't really need it, right? That was a worthless sentence, I know. No, it made sense. Like if, if, you're, if you have a OO style app that's running that uses state and it's fine, then there's no reason to go back and be like, oh, I'm going to do this in F sharp. Right. Right. And having said that, some functional languages are more or less functional than others, which gets really weird. But that, look into it; it's worth looking into. But I mean, I played with F sharp. It's definitely a, a change in thinking, right? Uh, you're supposed to avoid mutable types. You're supposed to do everything kind of in its own. There's no state, is the bottom line, right? Or you don't want to be keeping state. So yeah. I guess Java has poisoned in my mind. Hmm. Speaking of Java, do you want to talk about Pallet Town? Yeah, so uh, I've been getting a lot of emails about my blog. I have a series called Pallet Town, which for those of you who are not incredibly nerdy, I don't know why you're listening to the show. <laughs> uh, Pallet Town is the first town in the original Pokemon games. Yes, kids. They were the ones in, like, green and green. Yeah, if, yeah. Uh, like old school, like Game Boy type graphics. Exactly. Um... So this is, you know, I've seen a lot of the learn, you know, this is how you program, blah, blah, blah. And frankly, they're boring. So I figured, why not fun it up with a little bit of a Pokemon talk? So for instance, we have a a ASP.NET example where you're doing some data modeling and some uh, HTTP post get stuff. 
with actual Pokemon as your data objects. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's for the kids, Chris. It's, it's for the fun. kids. No. Oh. oh. Well, um, can, I, what, can I like it too? Yes, you can like it too. Okay. I've received, people seem to like it. I've received a few complaints that I'm actually starting at too high of a level, right? And I kind of looked back at the ones I've already written. You do have to know a lot of the basics already to even get into them. So now I'm doing a series using Java as the language, which is basic concepts. Now, with every other one of these series I've ever seen written, I'm sure someone's going to flame me about an oversimplification or something like that. That's fine. Um, this week I wrote one called uh, OO in Java, something like that. Basically, it is the very basics for a child or someone new to development to understand the difference between a class and an object, right? And parameters and all that kind of thing. Not parameters, I'm sorry, properties and that kind of thing. So if you have young kids, especially if they're Pokemon fans, have them take a look. It's obviously totally free. It's just on the web. Um, There are code samples in there, and it has a fun little picture from the old Game Boy game. Yeah, that's what caught my attention. Yeah. Very nice, Mr. Dominic. Very nice. Uh, It's fun for kids of all ages, including adult kids. All right. Well, before we get into the rest of our show, I do want to take a moment right here and thank our first sponsor, and that is the fantastic folks over at Ting.com, because Ting is mobile that makes sense. And here's where you go to get it all started. Go to Coderadio.Ting.com. That way you can take advantage of some of the great deals over at Ting. So first of all, let's talk about the rates. There's a lot of really great things about Ting. No early terminations, fees, no contracts, and a incredibly straightforward and easy-to-use dashboard. But what I really think is unique about Ting is the way they build. They take your minutes, your megabytes, and your messages. They add them all up, and whatever bucket you fall into at the end of the month, that's what you pay. So you don't end up paying extra and wasting a bunch of money for a plan you don't use fully, and you don't get these massive penalties when you go a little bit outside the box that the carrier has set up for you. And all of this is every single month, month to month, just as you want it. You can have as many lines as you want, $6 flat rate, and then you just pay for what you use. That is super straightforward. It's great for teams. And it's also great if you need to test on several devices for your application. Maybe you need an older Android phone and a newer Android phone, something with uh, Android 2, something with Android 4, etc., well, the great thing about Ting is you don't have that gadget guilt where we have a device sitting around and you're not using it very much, but you're paying into some big contract. You can put that device on that desk and you only have to pay for it when you use it. Then again, flip side, if you have a busy couple of months like I always do as the holidays come up, I don't have to worry about going way, way, way over because I like to have all my pictures sync as I'm taking them. I mean, my data usage can go way up during the holidays. So that's what's really, really comforting about Ting. Now, they're also doing something that's pretty unique. I don't know of anybody else that offers this, an early termination relief program. So if you want to get into Ting because it's fantastic savings, especially when you go to coderadio.ting.com because you're going to start there, they're going to take $25 off your first device. If you bring your own device, they're going to give you a $25 uh, discount on your first month of service, which could end up being free if you're like me. Here's the sweet thing, though. Early termination relief. All you got to do, you grab a device, you port your number over to Ting, and then you submit your ETF claim from your current carrier. You know, those guys that have ETFs. Ting is going to take $75 per device out of that. Boom. Takes that sting right out. Boom. How about that? You can find out more if you go to ting.com slash ETF. Go take a look at their devices. They got a whole range of contract-free high-end devices, mid-range devices, and even devices that start as low as $63 once you apply our discount. $63 for an off-contract, no early terminations, pay-for-what-you-use plan. That is incredible. So go get started by going to coderadio.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Been loving, been loving Android 4.3 on the HTC One. Do you have 4.3 on that uh, Moto X of yours? Uh, I... Two actually, it's not it's four an, two two or something. I think it's three. It got an update the other day. Okay, okay, all right. So you're legit, is what you're saying. You're legit. I am legit, as they say. Now, uh, why don't we just give a quick uh, little discussion here to uh, Apple's announcements uh, that came up? We didn't get the Google Nexus Five announcement, although now the rumor is November first, so it could be pretty soon. Um, did you have any takeaways from it? You know, it was um, surprising in a way. What? Really? I really didn't expect the Retina iPad Mini. Okay. Uh, because I, I thought they are in love with thick, juicy margins. When it comes to margins, they're the sort of mix-a-lot of the business world, right? Yeah. You know, if you yank out bonds, they don't want you. 
I was terrible. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking Tim Cook's up there, gold chains, backwards cap. He's not going to go for some flimsy 45% margin, 50 or nothing. I did not consider that he may keep around a three-year-old device. The iPad 2. Keep last year's device and make another category with those thick, fat, juicy margins that they like so much. So, uh, you know, the main way they pulled that off is by putting the A7 in both the Air and the Mini. Yeah. Um, And so this is putting... This is going to push 64-bit out to a lot more devices a lot faster than I expected. Which is why I'm like, huh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, I mean, because I honestly thought the way they traditionally would have done this is the Mini would have gotten the A6, right? Right, yeah, and so the Mini would have gotten the A6, not had a retina display, Mm -hmm. and only the high-end would be the A7, right? Now you got every iPhone 5S running a 64-bit chip, and you got every iPad Air and Mini that's going to sell over this holiday season with a 64-bit chip in it. Yeah. So uh, it seems like if you're if you're making iOS software, you got to get a 64-bit device. Yeah, that's my feeling. Um, you know, so, so they're, they're saying it's not going to be much of an issue. I frankly don't believe that. So I am going to go ahead and pick up a 64-bit device. Not terribly happy about it, because Chris, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Uh, these, these iDevices are a little pricey. Yeah, now I'm in the market because I actually ruined one of mine during a quota radio, and so I've been waiting for them to come out. And I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pick one up because it's such a hit with the kids, right? And uh, I think the uh, the air is probably the device I will get. Um, you know, I I found this whole announcement process to be pretty underwhelming, to be honest with you. I feel like if Apple really wanted to impress me with the iPad, they would have announced along with the iPad Air an iPad Pro. Um, maybe it would have had connectivity of some kind maybe like some sort of video outport maybe that'd be crazy i know that's never going to happen yeah extended battery life something you know um i guess i feel like they're leaving this they're leaving this massive massive spot open for like professional grade business tablets so so that's where i'm at because as i'm using tablets more and more i'm realizing that okay these are at the point where they don't need to be consumption devices and i'm kind of Cue the Microsoft fanboys looking for a keyboard. Now, I know there's that very nice Logitech one, but that's another 80 bucks, right? Yeah, if it's worth it for the apps, though, then... That's the thing. I, I'm almost feeling like... So, first of all, they named it the iPad Air, not the iPad. Which I'm wondering, is there an iPad Pro? And is that next year? (laughs) Next year, and going to have a keyboard, right? Doesn't it come down to what are you going to make apps for? You're not going to make apps for a surface, (laughs) are you? (laughs) You are. (laughs) I'm not laughing at you, man. Good luck with that. I mean, I'm proud of you for being bold and a risk taker. Wait, wait, wait. No one said that. Hang on. What you got to do? Here's an idea make apps for Linux and Surface. That way you really cover your bases. What are you going to do with all that money rolling in? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, it's just funny because no one makes money on either platform. Oh, oh, oh. oh, oh that's really sad. I think we're going to probably get a lot of hate mail for that one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can send your hate mail to Alan, the PHP fan at JupiterBroadcasting.com. He's a jackass. Alan actually, oh. Alan went in a pretty good PHP defense the other day on the on the. Table. I heard it. Uh, I, I feel like someone emailed him with the intent of being a troll. That was Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then he took it to Twitter, too. He took the fight to Twitter. <laughs> and I was just like, why do we have to do this again? <laughs> oh, man. So, okay. I, but all seriousness aside, I, I mean, all joking aside. Oh, we've already we've already put the seriousness right. aside. This, we're good. <laughs> I kind of, uh, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I guess, I, so I, it seems like the turn rate on, on tablets is much higher than it is on PCs. Right. People are one to two years, right? Mm-hmm. More like mobile phones. So you could have somebody break in. Maybe during like a, cha- a, a, a a switchover cycle, like I think what we just saw was a, a, a lot of really good products from Apple, but nothing, nothing, nothing's really going to move the dial in in this race too much. I think it's just gonna you know people who like iPads will buy iPads, and people who want right. to get you know something else will get something. I I just I don't see how this is going to change much. And you know Paul Thorat 
made the astute point that uh, what did they say they sold like 170 million iPads or something like that? Yeah, that's something ludicrous. Yeah, right. But that works out to be six months, is it, of PC sales? Exactly. So in, in all of the iPads' life, they sold six month six months worth of P- worth of PCs. Yeah, I mean that's it, it, that's the reality of, of the market right now. Um, you know. Not to say that WinRT is going to take the world by storm, because I think it's pretty clear that it hasn't. Um, but WinRT, you know, the reason for it to exist has been solved by Intel. So couldn't Microsoft just go back and be like, so we're not doing this anymore? You know what I mean? And Oh, the Windows ARM have, aspect of it? Right, just drop ARM. Because they're not hitting the price points they need to hit. But that's not even the point. I mean, getting back to the whole Apple event, one of my main things is they released exactly what we thought they were going to release, which is probably the worst thing they could have done, right? Yeah, uh, I can't tell, man. I can't tell because, like, so, you know, this goes back even to, like, uh, Ubuntu 13.10, and I look at uh, Mavericks, and I, and, and to, to here I see two operating systems that have gotten to a point that they're just kind of polishing now and making better and i actually think that's what they've did done with the ipad too and it's probably what consumers want across the board i don't think it's what maybe you or i or enthusiasts want but like i think the fact that angela's mom and dad who really don't know anything about computers and i would say are technophobic the fact that their ipads just like upgraded to ios 7 and they didn't shit a brick. Like they were just like, "Oh yeah, all my stuff's still in the same spot. It just looks different." Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of a big deal, actually. That's they actually so, that's well okay. execution. Okay, but the only person out there bricking my Vivo tab when they update it is Microsoft, right? Google doesn't have that problem. Sorry, Microsoft. It you know there's a, there's a difference between stagnating but being polished and being a little more risky and a little less polished and bricking your device, right? You know, if you want to compare it to the RT update experience, which we haven't talked about yet, it was a disaster. All right, I mean, so they tell can me about say, this. Tell me about it. What happened? All right, so I um, I have my people tab, which I actually like a lot. I'm one of the few people who who is kind of like, I like the idea of a tablet that has a keyboard that is just naturally, you know, a, key, a tablet with a keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of the deal. Um, so I waited a day or two to get the WinRT update, and I guess I must have gotten it just before Microsoft pulled it. Because that did not work. Yeah. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it, it bricked a few machines, including even yeah. like the Surface. Right. And so, I mean, if the Surface is bricked, what chance does somebody running a third-party system have? Right. This is going to happen, though. This is, I mean, they're, they when they when they did this, they when they released Surface and Windows RT, they kind of hit the reset button. They're kind of shipping a one zero in a way. I mean, it's a you know pretty good one zero. But yeah, well, it's a one yeah. and and this is where you see it is where they got to do mass deployments. They have to push out updates. This is just not. It's going to take. It's going to take Microsoft a long time to transition from from just being the software vendor to being a software vendor that has to work so closely with hardware, and in some cases be also the hardware vendor. That's, I mean, that's a cultural shift. That's a huge shift for a company. It, it is, but again, you know, the, one of the cornerstones of these tablets, at least in my opinion, is they work. You know, they might have stuff missing all of the iPad, and they might have no apps all of the Surface, but they work, right? This is not... Uh, their appliance you know, level, almost. Right, exactly. Um, so that doesn't seem to be the case, right? I've I've felt that on, on occasions with my original Nexus 7, where when the battery would fully die, it, you, it would go into this horrible reboot loop where you couldn't charge it, and I just kind of felt like... The, the feeling I walk away with is these devices are supposed to be of a generation where we've solved some of these fundamentals and we're on to different challenges now. Exactly, exactly. And if you can't take uh, care of some of the basics, then maybe, you know, you don't have all your ducks in a row. You, should be, you shouldn't be playing on this field. I can see where you're coming from. You know, it just feels like, and I know we're way off topic, but it feels like the whole Surface 8.1 thing was what I call date-driven development, right? We had a ship date that we had to commit to, so we pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not great. I mean, it, 
let, let's say that it, you know they are saying it was less than one percent of the market it happened to. <laughs> I love it when when they always say that. Yet I've heard from like two or three people that have it. So boy, I guess I I must know the one percent or something. Well, the other issue is that it doesn't just break your thing. Like I've had iOS updates break um, devices, particularly on betas, and that's to be expected. But at least you plug it into the computer and it just resets by itself, right? Literally, it comes up, this thing is in bad shape. Would you like us to factory reset it? Yeah, but there is a way to do that on the on your tablet. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you have to open up the C prompt on the tablet, right? You have to do some voodoo with the volume switch to get there <laughs> and type in a bunch of archaic DOS commands, which, sure, I'm. you also have to uh, IOS, uh, I'm sorry, to get an ISO of the RT operating system from Microsoft and put that on there. Get it out of here. Right. I, I'm totally capable of doing all of those things. I shouldn't have to, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Why I'm going to take it to the Microsoft store and bitch them out? <laughs> so uh, when so when you say nothing surprised you, uh, maybe that's not so bad. It's easy. I mean, the only thing that surprised you really was mm-hmm. the part that's going to be a biggest pain in the ass for development. And that is more 64 bit across the line. Right. That's really the big surprise, and ironically, the one that'll probably have the biggest impact for delivering software. Um, you know. Uh, I think I thought. Oh, oh! One other note. I just wanted to note too is, I think they did pitch it as more of a professional line device. They pitched it as, um, you know, all of the use case videos they had, people were using them in like a job, in like work. You know, they had them in scientific applications. They had them in medical. That's a good spot for them to position that for developers because, when you enter a higher, you know, when it becomes a work grade device, you can charge more for your applications. Right. No, I, I mean, I again, I'm not super... Um, Unless it's your OS, then you give that away for free now. Naturally, I mean. Right. It, you know, I just feel like Windows 8 is not as bad as people say. But when you drop the ball like that, you know, they're, they're not doing themselves any favors, right? Um, and I mean that in a very, very... big way hmm. even you know you can go on out of the android being fragmented android doesn't even have this problem right Right. Yeah. It, you know most people who are bricking their android devices are bricking them because they're trying to do their own thing right right um, but you really don't hear of like samsung or htc1 trashing their device when they do push out an right. update exactly or uh and you know which is interesting too because like to your point of fragmentation there they would in theory have a much more complicated set of circumstances that they have to work within than the microsoft RT update. If there's not very many devices. And it would also seem like yeah. it also, I, I guess we just, do you know what the cause was? Cause it seems like it. So it seems like mums the word, right? I haven't been able to find the cause, but I was very curious to, uh, if you, do you know? No, I, I, I don't. And I, it, it's so strange that it, if, I mean, they, they have those devices in house, but what I did here was, it only you, you would not get it if you had been upgrading from like the betas of eight point one. It was only when you went from straight eight zero to eight one that you caught it. And so one of the reasons they didn't. <laughs> so, catch- so it only affected normal customers. Right. Fantastic. So the people who were dog fooding in house didn't have the problem because they had been running beta builds for a while and just kept doing updates through their through their update server. And so they'd never real bit by it. That's all. I, that's the only. That's the only scuttlebutt I've heard, and I. That, that's awful. If that's if that's really the case, that's that's really bad. I mean, I listen to, you know, if you want to, we just rename Windows Weekly um, Group Therapy Radio. I know, right? No, we're, we've got that name taken. <laughs> yeah, it's. This is an incredible screw up, right? It's, it's not even like okay, you know, iOS seven had glitches, right? You know, I, I think our good friend Barack. Has even mentioned them several times. He's got an iPhone, and there have been some problems. He's a jackass. Thank you, Barack. But they didn't brick his phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have certainly consumer updates shouldn't be breaking devices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I mean, that's kind of like uh, that'd be that. That's not as bad as a Windows update. But it's as bad as like when they pushed out a service pack that nuked Windows installations. Like if that, so even if it nukes your device, there should be a way to just restore it to factory, right? Without going to the C prompt. Is this not? Is this not Microsoft's technical debt biting them in the ass because they are pushing an operating system 
you know, you look at – okay, one of the key differences about Android and iOS is these things were built to run as images from ROMs. Like from day one, that's what these things have always done. They've always had, you know, uh, this mindset when they're developing the operating system. Windows is used to having a disk with partitions and, 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 and an active boot partition and, and all of these things that they have now translated to the tablet device. It's not, a, it's not born of the tablet. I know that sounds heady, but I think it actually impacts I mean, the way that that's if that's really so at first when I saw the issue, I thought it was because I was running a third party device, right? That maybe because, you know, Asus doesn't support the platform anymore. So maybe it was like a driver thing. Um, and then some quick uh, searching, not with Google, with DuckDuckGo. It, it just seems silly. Like I'm going to go to the Microsoft store and I'm going to be there for four hours and, you know. Awesome for a device that was supposed to add features that it probably should have had at launch, or for an update. Right, the reason I whipped out the Surface is because it was a Sunday afternoon. I was on my porch and I wanted to just type out a few emails. Right. So Snake Docs says there's a pinhole button you can press that'll reset it, that'll flash it back to stock 8.0. Is that true? I did not find it. Where, where is this pinhole button? I don't know. Snake Doc says it's true. No, he says why not have a pinhole button? Oh yeah, I know. Where like there's a little bootloader that just reimages it or something. Yeah, exactly. So my 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 Dell that I even I wiped the Ubuntu, I could probably reimage the Windows in like three hours, right? Mm-hmm. Just off the factory. If not, I could get a disk and do it. Um, which is basically what they're telling me to do with the tablet. But I just I don't know. I mean, we've been on this way too long. All right. Any other topics? Any other thoughts on the uh, Apple stuff? I don't want to spend five hundred dollars. Yeah, tax write off. <sighs> I know, I know. It, it only, Although it, it T-Mobile only, giving away free data might get me to actually make that six hundred dollars. It only makes you got to get it with. Uh, you have to because if you want GPS functionality, you got to get it with the cellular. Even if you don't activate it, you, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes down to like you know, it just yeah, there's so much stuff that's just geo stuff now. All right. Well, uh, before we get into the back end stuff, I want to thank our second sponsor this week, and that is GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy.com has a $1.99 deal for you guys for a .com. If you go over there, use the code CODER199 when you're checking out at GoDaddy.com. You get your .com for $1.99. Friends, friends, when a .com is $1.99, there's so many beautiful things you can do. I got uh, JBTitles.com jbtitles.com forwards now to our voting page where people can help select our titles, which nobody in our chat room has suggested a title yet because they are failing us as we do the show right now. But if they weren't failing us horribly, at the end of the show, we'd all go to jbtitles.com. Now, I didn't have to have some complicated server. I don't have to have some WordPress site running somewhere where I've done all that stuff, even though GoDaddy makes it crazy easy to set that up. All I did, I logged into my GoDaddy admin panel, went into the domain management chose my new domain from my list of many domains, and then click forward. You just click forward. You go in there, it drops down a really easy-to-use GUI to set up where you want to forward to, either permanently, temporarily, and you can even do masking. And it makes all that great, simple, and straightforward. And with the .com for $1.99, now has been... Now, there's never been a better time. Never, ever will be a better time. I don't think you can go cheaper than $1.99, so do it while we still can. Use the code CODER199 over at GoDaddy.com. They're kicking it up a notch, too. So if you work in a small business or a group of people, it's there's so many great things GoDaddy's working on right now to help you get even more work done, to get to make your business run even smoother. They've got all kinds of great new services over there. They're rolling out new stuff. So go over to GoDaddy.com and check it out and get yourself a .com for $1.99 with a code CODER199. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring... Coda Radio Program. Okay, Mr. Dominic, why don't we move into the back-end stuff? And uh, I want to start with a question for you, sir. When do I need a back-end? And why do I need a back-end? Well, you need the back-end if you're persisting state via your application to a server, Chris. Well said. Well said. So, like, um, so an example is the Audible app. In the Audible app, when I play on my... Uh, tablet and then close it and open it up on my HTC one, even though there one is an iPad and one is an Android device, the Android, the audible app syncs between them, my position, my chapter and all that kind of information. Uh, it's not using iCloud for that. And it's not using Google messaging for that. It's using some sort of audible backend for that. Right. Yes. That kind of thing. Okay. Exactly. That's right. exactly what we're talking about. <clears throat> So basically, you know, you're interacting with a server um, that's interacting with a database. A database. 
How do you feel about databases, Chris? Databases are, well, actually, I'm not a big fan of databases. To be fully fair, I like databases themselves. I just don't usually like the software that runs them. Oh. Now, maybe you can change my mind on that, but I've never... Sounds like we've got a little sysadmin pie going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thing is, is they're a pain in the butt to back up. Yes, yes. So, you know, deployment has been an issue for me recently uh, because deployment's been in the ass. Yeah. So, um, could we say I've been on a little safari of back-end frameworks? I, I've noticed this. You've been um, surfing that safari. Yes. <laughs> wow. Get out of here. <laughs> and, you know, I really like my curly braces and, and uh, state, right? So I quickly found that .NET is the best uh, programming framework you could possibly be using. Oh, well, that's uh, solved. And I'll just give the chat room a few seconds to digest that. To own it, really. To, to own it, really. Just to, to feel the burn. But no. Um, so, you know, I kind of fell in love with Java Play. And, and you know, so the reason for that is Java Play doesn't suck. Um... I mean that in a very big way. Mm. It's got all of the the OO goodness and the um, ease of development from Rails with a nice, easy, state-based language. And I don't know why we're on the view right now. But I had one problem. Java Play deployment to Heroku is basically broken. Right, I remember this. Um, it may not be the case anymore. There are a few specialty solutions... But again, that stuff's really pricey. And, you know, I, I want to be down to the metal these days. So what we've been doing is actually spinning up VMs. Um, and believe it or not, using... Are you ready for this, Chris? I'm ready. Docker. Oh, really? Yes. So you're, are you sort of rolling your own back-end infrastructure right now with this? So we're tying together Docker with, its, uh, with another open-source library called Dooku, which actually gives you a very Heroku-like deployment situation. Mm. So what is Dooku lets you push it out to servers and stuff like that, or what? Exactly, and it manages uh-huh. dependencies, yeah, so uh, along so, with Docker. So for those of you who didn't catch our Docker interview weeks back, uh, Docker is a open-source project to create lightweight, portable, self-sufficient containers for many applications. You can set up an environment in there, and then that just sort of becomes a safe place for the application that you have in there. Exactly. Hmm. And then, uh, so tell me, so uh, to explain a little bit to this push aspect of it. So can you just like, you just have like a, a server out there and you can, you can take Dooku and say, all right, send this Docker image to this server or how does this work? You know, that's, that's pretty much exactly right. Um, sends the Docker image and it tries to build it on the server just like a Roku, right? And it responds with any errors. Now, the, the advantage to this is, of course, we could continue doing continuous deployment, continuous integration, whichever. I know they're not the same thing, but uh, the disadvantage is that we now have to maintain some servers, right? Mm-hmm, yes. Now, Docker takes some of the sting out of that because one of the problems with right. maintaining your own server is, is there an update I need to worry about that breaks something? Is there, a, you know, uh, or or you, actually even just some of the pressures in, in some of the server configuration are removed because everything in that Docker environment is isolated, it's protected. What about updating the Docker uh, environment itself, the container? So that is something you have to handle. Yeah. Um, but again, if you're doing production deployments, you're probably not updating, you know, major things you've deployed often, right? Are you moving around over there? Sorry, did you... <laughs> I got my chair sort of sliding away on its own. It was creepy. <laughs> I was like, no. Uh, I, I follow you. So this is interesting because this is kind of in the back of my mind. I've been thinking about redoing some of the Jupiter Broadcasting uh, internal infrastructure. And I've been thinking about using Docker as sort of uh, a safe spot. And then running um, um, uh, you know, a much more fluid server operating system um, underneath it. Yeah, it, it um so we're deploying to Ubuntu uh, thirteen oh four. So we're still using our LTS love. Twelve oh four is LTS, thirteen oh four is not. I'm sorry, twelve oh four, yeah. It's it's been pretty smooth. It's been sm- much smoother than we would have thought. I mean it took about a day of configuration and all that kind of crap. There are a few pain points still, right? 
um, you really, really should, if you're doing this kind of deployment scenario, have a good testing strategy in mind. Not just manual testing, but also unit testing, right? Which is something we're definitely working on. Because, you know, when it's so easy to push up to production, one of two things will happen. You become afraid to push to production, right? Hmm. And the longer you go without doing it, the harder it's going to get. Yeah. Or do you do it so much that you're constantly in this scenario where you've broken something live and you have to hurry up and fix it? Right. You know? So that's that's not great. Um, and we're, you know, I'll be honest, for me, it's a little bit of a cultural shift for this automated testing stuff. It's one of those things where you're, you're spending time um, writing these tests that you don't really see any positive gains, right? The whole idea is that you're writing the test that's going to prevent some theoretical future problem. So the issue is obviously that it's it's hard to really quantify the value of that, right? Yeah, and when you're busy and stressed out, it can be difficult even more so. Right. So it's a cultural shift, particularly for me. I am, um, you know, I have some concerns around the whole testing thing. I I think there is this whole culture of. I would say ridiculousness in it, right? Where, you know, for one thing, most issues people are going to complain about are not going to be database issues, right? It's always going to be UI. Uh, There's a few reasons for that. They don't see the database issues. Right. And even if there are database issues, most, they won't feel, want to sound silly and they probably don't understand the issue. So they won't want to bring it up, Mm, right? mm. Or they won't discuss it in depth. Right. But they will sure as hell, especially if it's a meeting with a group of people, everybody's got to get their two cents in. They will sure as hell beat you down about a shade of blue. Yeah, yeah, because everybody because can have an opinion. Everybody can have an opinion. Yep, on. yep, yep. So one of the, the main issues with the testing stuff is it, you know, with the exception of some recent Azure shenanigans, we really haven't had too many um, back-end deployment issues. But the front end is always an area where people want to talk about colors or changes. And I I would really like there to be a solution for that, right? Now, how can you ever fix that? That's that's human nature. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we'd fix that. Because this just seems like, um, I mean, your only option there is to go like all gnome or or uh, whatever, and people would be like, "This is your option. You get this. You get this, or you get nothing." But you're not going to get a lot of clients doing that, right? And you know the flip side is you're not get, if you're not going to get a lot of new users if you never respond to the changes they want, right? So it, it's difficult, right? Because in a way you're not um, you're not optimizing or you're not. I feel like the unit testing thing on the back end is not giving us the value where we really need the value, right? Yeah. And not to say that these issues are huge, but they're you know there is a bottom line effect to five hours here, two hours there kind of things, right? So I'm not totally sold yet. And, you know, I've looked into UI testing frameworks and they don't really exist, which is interesting. Gosh, it seems like such a hard thing. Uh, and that, and that's what it is, right? And and that, And that's what makes it hard from a consulting perspective is because, you know, one situation that's very common is you're dealing with one person for just about the entirety of the contract. Uh, that person goes on, like, maternity leave or something like that. And the next guy aesthetically just has a totally different taste. Or they weren't, or, like, the guy above him, they weren't communicating properly. He had a different right. set of expectations. And that's one that bit the, has bitten me in the past is I'll come in, I'll do my first initial meeting, I'll, you know, I'll talk to the CEO, we'll talk about big picture, and then I'll go spend six months with the IT guy. And then after that six months, you know, it's sort of like he's he's sort of built over that six months a wall between me and the CEO. And then, of course, he steps away for a little while and, oh, CEO turns out to have a whole separate set of expectations. I could see the same thing for, uh, you know, uh, in a programming situation, you're developing something for a client, The you know, you're working with somebody. And then towards the end of the day, the stakeholders all come in and they sit down to, to review what they've done and they say, well, wait a minute, this, this doesn't look like our side at all. This, doesn't, this isn't going to fit. The color isn't right, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right. It's difficult. And I mean, certainly having a paper trail is obviously going to be helpful. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. But there are cases when, of course, there are misunderstandings in terms of visuals, and it would be really great to be able to write tests against that, right? So, so uh, um, I guess that's what I was going to ask you, is doesn't using something like Docker and Dooku um, sort of give you the ability to build up your own quote-unquote library of back-end parts that when it comes time to do something, you can say, all right, well, we can spend a little more time nitpicking on the front end and 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 burning the the uh, the midnight oil there because we're going to just sort of inherit a lot of the stuff we've already built from a previous uh, you know deployment and just take Docker and Duke and we'll just deploy what we've done before and then build on top of it. So in a way, aren't you kind of once you've once you've ran as the setup for a while, going to open up yourself to some availability for that kind of back and forth little chicken s stuff? So so the, so that's certainly the theory. Um. And I'm hoping it's true. <laughs> yeah. I feel like what's going to happen is as efficiency efficiencies start to be shown in invoices and reports, people are just going to expect that to be passed on to them. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I, I wonder how that's where you have to have a little marketing magic in there to kind of right. obfuscate that a little bit, maybe. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but. Yeah, yeah the, so to not show where time went. Right, because it, it is. It is just smart business for you to develop a backend system that is easily repeatable for you to save you time on future projects. So, like, and and that's the advantage of going with your own Linux server, deploying Docker's. You now own that entire stack. Like, you could redeploy any aspect of that stack for any other task, and you sort of you sort of saved yourself all of that setting up and discovery time. But that's just that's just good business. That's like you know, you don't rebuy a whole toolbox every time you go fix somebody's sink. Oh, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's. I mean, honestly, a lot of the tool shifting has been thanks to one vendor giving out freebies. Yeah, Alex. And Alex Bell has picked up on our uh, our corporate speak with stakeholders and paper trails. This is the world, Alex Bell. That when you when you go in with clients, this is how you talk. This is how they talk. That's you know. Well, this yeah, this is. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is like everyday stuff, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And I don't know where that leaves us, but a little sad. Well, I think you're in a transition phase with it. I think we are, too. I think it's going to be a little... Um, I think it's going to be a, a little more time-consuming than I would like. And I'm still not 100% sold on the um, on the real value of, of some of these things. I think you could potentially... So, you know, for uh, for owning the the technology that you you build and sell, I can see the advantage there, right? And for like trying different stuff out, it, and and it gives you a safety net with snapshots. It makes backups super easy. It makes deployment to new servers with Duku sounds like that makes it a, a snap. Oh However, yeah. So so just for the backup stuff, I mean, it, it's kind of worth the weight in gold, right? I mean, that's that's what makes it worth the risk of this stuff. Not and it makes it fast. It makes it fast. Right. And but the, here's where I see problems is like. All of this is great until you ha- you decide to do something that really has to scale. And then that's where some of these other cloud systems come uh, a little more attractive is they can handle that load, right? Whereas if you're rolling all this backend technology on your own, you if you know, if you're going to have to if you're going to have 100,000 users in a day, you need to be able to develop you need to be able to hold that load. Whereas something like S3 is going to scale up just fine to that. Or or Rackspace or or Azure, you know, whatever you want to put it on. So that would probably be like, uh, you know, true. that w- that seems like a potential downside to rolling your own backend. However, not all use cases, you know, some use cases are like, like you said, just state information. And you could have, you know, that could scale to tens of thousands of users if you're just flipping a bit in a database when they close the app or open the app, right? I yeah. mean, so it kind of depends on the work case. And let's be honest. I mean, most applications, especially if they're internal business applications, don't need that kind of scalability, right, right? Right. It's yeah. It's generally not unless you're serving up some some portion of content or something. And additionally, I'm finding a lot of people have definitely tightened their belt on what they're willing to pay for to maintain a server. Uh-huh. So I actually have folks moving away from EC2 because they can't get a fixed price. Yeah, right? it gets expensive. And right. and if you have the resources, you can resell it on your own. Right. And that's the idea. Right. The idea would be that, and this is something I just say in general for even our own projects. If we're at the point where we need to go to a cloud for capacity, it usually means that 
we should have enough revenue right afford that yeah hopefully and to be able to afford the cost to do that quickly yeah now if your model is to not generate revenue well then you know i, I tend but to not recommend I guess that, even then though i still feel like you're kind of making a safe play because docker is fundamentally portable and these containers could be lifted and moved to a, a docker server yeah like it's it's not like you have to go get an ISO and install all the packages, right? It's like there's people out there that are ready to take your Docker image today and run it. Well, you know, don't forget, even even without those people, um, nothing stops me from being like, I'll take a big Ubuntu server and load my Docker on it, do the install, right? I could write a Ruby yeah. script to do that. Well, or if you knew like, hey, we're going to launch this week or we're going to launch version 2.0 this week and we expect traffic to be 10x, then for that week, you run your Docker image on that Rackspace instance, right? And then when that week's over, you can move it back to your cheaper server. So there is some some pretty nice flexibility there. There, there are options. I mean, you know, it's funny, Chris, but all this cloud stuff, all this auto-scaling auto servers, Yeah, I, I'm seeing more and more people move away from it as, wait, how much do they want? Well, yeah, I mean, the whole thing was about, I mean, the whole thing about the cloud is about reoccurring revenues for these companies. And right. and, and, the, and the sad part is, you know, colos have kind of been slapped in the face, but there are vendors, you know, like GoDaddy and a few other companies who will lease you either hardware servers or physical or um, virtual servers with reasonable speeds, reasonable bandwidth that for most people, 100 bucks a month will, will do them just fine virtually forever. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, is probably way more than they need to spend on just server hosting. Meanwhile, so, though, uh, yeah. I've, I've had clients that spend several thousand dollars, you know, three, four thousand dollars a month on renting out a couple of racks in a data center and, and paying for the bandwidth. And, and for them, they looked at it as, first of all, it was a tax write-off. It was an ongoing business expense and the hardware was a business. So all of that angle of it. But they, they just as a business wanted to own the hardware that their website runs on. And that's how they generated all their revenue was through their website. And so for them, it wasn't even so much about the running costs because they were willing to pay more to just completely own it top to bottom. Well, I've also had a few calls about um, security concerns, with, particularly with clients who are in Europe or Canada, about you know Amazon EC2, Windows Azure, things like that that are physically in um, – mm. In the the United States, yeah. 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 I mean, I think the days of smaller firms purchasing servers, getting the static IP from their IP vendor, and actually, you know, running their own server are still behind us. Yeah. But certainly leasing servers from not even a colo, but from, you know, some vendor who promises where they are seems to be coming popular again. It seems like a pulling back a bit. Like we... We all sort of overindulged in this, and now we're like, well, not for all use cases, actually. I know I even my own, like looking at my own, just ongoing billing for like Heroku. I'm paying a lot of money for very little computing power, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not a lot in terms of you know, I'm not paying thousands a month, but it's for what you get price for what I'm getting. It's it's certainly you know, I could have bought a Dell server a long time ago, paid, paid, you know, called Verizon said I wanted a static IP. Docker so. makes it surprisingly safer in a way too. Like, uh, and you know, I know it's different too. It's it, it, a full-on container. What's interesting about Docker is that uh, it gives it gives you sort of this freedom to mess it up a little bit. And and your whole like in, in the old days of of your own co-located server, like, and, and virtualization virtualization solved this problem to a big degree. But the problem with virtualization is the performance overhead. And so if you really wanted raw performance, what all you know, really popular websites would end up doing is going metal. And they would run yeah. an OS, and they would have to update those OSs, and they would have to install the packages, and they would have to maintain you know, at scale all of the servers that they use to maintain their site. And now with Docker, it's like that OS still has to be maintained, but it is completely detached from the functioning of the services that run on the OS. And that's huge. That's, that, that, sort, of, that sort of fundamentally changes co-hosted servers because you don't have to have the virtualization penalty and you also don't have to have that situation where you could fundamentally screw something up just by doing an update. It's it kind of a big deal. So it kind of makes co-located servers much more practical or whatever, you know, co-located or self-hosted, whatever you want to call it. 
more more practical. Exactly. And I'm, you know, I don't want to hit this too hard about the effect of the Snowden stuff, but I, there has been an effect, right? It's it, even if it just makes people think a little bit about it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm hearing, okay, so I had one guy call me and say, well, the Snowden guy was an admin, right? Yes. Well, doesn't Amazon have admins too? <laughs> oh, Could I know for sis admins, they're bad. <laughs> well, and I'll, and I'll, well, I mean, his, okay, it's a little outlandish. No, but, but it's a, right, though. There is a kernel of truth, right? Some guy gets fired for maybe inappropriate chain letters. You should tell him that uh, the right. federal government has assessed that for leaks, uh, sys admins in their <laughs> mid, to late, uh, mid to late 20s and early 30s are the highest risk target they see in terms of breaching and 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 doing things right. for patriotic reasons so he's right as and as, as somebody who fits into that category that's what the federal government's warning people about exactly um i'm not sure how we got there but okay well you brought up the so i think it's it's yeah. funny because even like alex bell's pointing out if there's really no reason for these companies to be worried about the nsa uh it's like one of these things no, where not, i mean this guy is does inventory right there, there's nothing to worry right. about but it's obviously on people's minds that's the thing. And it is, and it is, it is factoring in the decision process because if it's, I guess what people think is, well, if, if today it's the NSA, then in five years, it could be somebody else, right? It could be a, a private, a private company who does it to make money, right? Maybe some company uh, hires a sysadmin from Amazon and says, Hey man, if you give us some usernames and passwords, we'll pay you $30 million. You know, so it could be anything. I mean, I'm totally pulling that in my ass, but it just gets people thinking about the possibility. It doesn't have to be the NSA boogeyman. No. Oh, they are going to get us all. Let's be honest. Oh, well, naturally, it's um, <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're gonna see how this all plans out. I I don't see. I mean, Pandora's box has been opened in terms of the cloud, right? Yeah. And I I don't see a real backslide. Well, and there's 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 a lot of practical reasons for it too. It, it, you know, sometimes fast deployment and fast scalability are worth their weight in gold. In other cases, though, certainly using a Heroku for prototyping is, is a good idea, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, why, why, why spend huge right. portion of your upfront time building up a server when you could just use a Heroku image? But as the longer you run that instance, the more expensive it's going to get. And I think for a lot of small to medium business, there's going to come a point where maybe, well, first of all, Heroku is a bad example because it's more expensive than EC2, right? Because they're upcharging EC2. Yeah. So there probably will be a point where for a lot of businesses' needs, that's not necessary, right? Sure. sure. Having said that, I really don't think we're going to see servers, newer companies bringing servers in that don't need them. Honestly, mainly because of the telcos. You know, they nickel and dime you on, oh, well, now you're at the business class and here's, uh, you know, $20 per static IP and rsla is not good and all this kind of thing yeah I mean, it's never been enough to make people avoid it before but i suppose if there's a whole other stack of reasons that those are just right. a couple of more right it's kind of like well we got to do it's this. just another hassle they have mm-hmm. to deal with right the other thing too is not not really as much of a as a practical matter but there's more and more businesses that are quote-unquote virtual businesses where they don't have like a specific spot or they all yeah. like they either have shared workspaces or they work over the internet. And these are, you know, not as common as a brick and mortar office, I would assume. But where are those people going to put their servers? You know, where those people don't have room for, they don't even have an office. They're not going to have a data center. So you could see where a company like that would want to use all hosted services as much as possible because it, you know, they're not paying rent on a room somewhere to put servers and cool them. No, that's, that's very true. Um, and I feel like we, we, we've made each other a little sad here. I, I, I don't think the, the cloud is in trouble at all. Mm-mm. I'm not sad. I'm good. You're good? I'm good because I actually think, I think, I actually think uh, uh, you, you have actually kind of arrived at the same point I have where I'm like, I'll use cloud for some stuff, cloud-hosted services for some stuff, and I'm going to go local for a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm just going to yeah. kind of figure out which is the best for that work case. And, and let's be honest, it's really it's thanks to Docker in a huge way. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think we're just kind of discovering the sweet spot. I also think should we hit this pretty hard? Do it, hit it, smash. I it. think it's 
becoming harder and harder to afford proprietary solutions for your backend infrastructure. Hmm. Hmm. Um, for instance, and there's less and less advantages to it as well. Right. So, you know, the licensing on SQL Server. <laughs> Horrible. I don't know if anybody's actually looked at that who's in the chat room. That is going to cost you more than your hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it just, it just seems like that's not something people should be doing, right? Now, that, that, that kind of database is is of a different era for software that is, you know, uh, very heavily networked and like rich side client apps for like, you know, inventory systems and, and no, but I'm, I'm still seeing it deployed. Um, and I'm seeing for what it, though, what kind of works use? It's uh, not for I'm, like, I'm, I'm seeing it deployed for like backends for rest backends. Yeah, I, I know. I, I mean, I, I hear about that too. And I also even hear about like MMOs that use SQL server for backends and stuff. And I just, I always just think it doesn't it, seem like the best use case. Well, it seems like a very expensive use case. And and they say there's metrics that you'll get it all back. No. Yeah, maybe. Right? I don't know. Maybe if somebody wants to write in, code a radio broadcasting.com and correct us on this. But I, I think you're right. I think the the uh as far as also let's be honest, the internet, web apps, and mobile apps are all pushing the profit margins down on this kind of stuff. And so there is there's it's kind of these back these huge iron backend proprietary solutions are being eaten away at from both ends from the fact that the open and free stuff is getting pretty capable and in most cases does the job uh, and it's seen you know I mean every large web company is using them right right and then at the other end of it you have the profit margins that are completely shrinking so people can't afford these expensive backends so it's they're really getting eaten at from two ends at once it's not I just can't see it working much longer in the current setup. Ten thousand so, dollars for a dual processor version. Yeah, of- so that's the thing. It, you know, I'm seeing companies try to cut their IT as much as possible, and licensing fees to me seem like a whole lot of fat you could trim. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when they're, shall we say, it, a little thick. Sir so Mixlot, you got anything? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does like it thick, doesn't he? And round. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go any farther than that. I'm not going to do no. it. No, no, no. I'm not going to do it. No. I'm not going to do it. This has been a very mellow show. I, I think Egon brought us down. Oh, curmudgeon. Inappropriate? Oh, I love Egon. He's my favorite ghost hunter. Um. All right. Well, so there you go. So you are transitioning from, gosh, I feel like we've gone from Heroku and uh, we've journeyed to Azure, and now we are journeying back to roll it on Docker, and we'll run it ourselves. Now, this it helps when you have a few people on a team to do it too. Let us be clear; it's not yeah, it's scalable. Not like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's that to, to factor into. All right, Mr. Dominic, what are your thoughts on that topic? No, that's about it. All right. Well, I'd like to uh, instruct people with a very, very important message. I want to give you. Basically, the keys to the kingdom. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on Coda Radio 73, find our contact links. You can get Mr. Dominic's Twitter account. You can get his business Twitter handle. You can even find his blog. It's all linked over there, but we're not even going to stop there. Check this out. Go to the top of our website, smack that contact button, and send us an email, and we'll read on a future episode of Coda Radio. Mr. Dominic, you have yourself a great week. We'll see you next Monday, okay? Yeah. All right, everyone, well, thank you for joining us. Don't forget you can join us live over jblive.tv, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Also, jblive.info for the audio edition. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. <laughs>